Hello, and welcome to the first special feature episode of Viking and the North, a podcast about knitting, nerddom, and other crafty goodness. Today's episode is a little different. We're interrupting our regular podcast format. For the knit stuff, Viking and I debrief our experience at the Toronto Knitters Frolic this past weekend, and for the nerddom, we have a special guest. If you listened to our previous podcast, you might remember us giving a shout out to Care Bear Mike. Well, about 10 minutes after our recording, Care Bear Mike showed up at the door of my apartment, and much silliness ensued. We hope you enjoy. Last few staples and blankets to the wall. That's echoey. Are we that echoey? I imagine so, but uh, that's what happens when you move out. It's, well, I haven't moved out yet, but all of my shit is in boxes. I guess I can't say that. I mean, you can't say that. You just have to put the explicit tag up. For poop? Well, yeah. Okay. Alright. Alright. Hey! Yep! How's it going? It's going well. Uh, who are you? Bring me my beer! What? Oh. Yes. I, already, I already gave you your beer. You did. This is Viking. Uh, Viking and the North. I'm the North. It's me. This is a very special episode. This is uh, I was that was that okay? Something something strange came up on the on the recording screen. It's just telling me that my iTunes stuff has uh, signed out, and I can't remember my password, and it was too complicated to reset it earlier, so I haven't done it. Tell us about your beer. This is a very <laughs> special episode, which is why we have no uh, no order, which works well for Ms. the North because Ms. the North does not update the uh, the podcast. Uh, notes anyway, so I've, I wouldn't I've know. I've been a little busy in my defense currently. There's a lot going on. Well, that's hardly the case. But, but yes, bring me my beer is actually uh, it's it's Canada's oldest indie micro, and it's Wellington Country Dark Ale. I have been to the Wellington Brewery before. Is it in Wellington? It's in Guelph. Well, that's not right. It's in Guelph. It should be in Wellington. Well, I went. To my well, my friend goes went to Guelph, and I visited her, and we went there for another friend's birthday. There's a picture of a welly on the uh, yes on the can, which some might know better as a gumboot. Uh, should you be Australian uh, or galoshes, galoshes for those uh, listening? Aren't in galoshes Canada. those things you cover your shoes with, like the rubber galoshes that go over men's dress shoes? And I always get super excited when I see them on the streetcar during the rainy weather because I don't believe they exist anymore. And then someone wears them, and I get oh so excited. And then I try to talk to them on the streetcar, and I realize that's a faux pas, so I hold it in. When I was in elementary school, my teacher used to call those those black uh, rubber boots galoshes. So whether that's accurate or not, that's what they will be in my mind. Also, bulbous bouffant macadamia gazebo. Now, Wellington Country <laughs> no, no, no. Dark Ale you is a traditional, you have to smooth, that. and distinctive. Uh, it's a 5% alcohol beer, so you know, a little bit less than normal. Uh, it claims to be the most celebrated beer, uh, rich dark ale. Now, let me tell you something about it. It was actually pretty good. It's nice to have a dark beer that has some flavor to it, but is not overpowering. So would I let the North provide me with more uh, Wellington dark ale? The answer is yes. And I feel that you should also uh, provide yourself with some for all of your knitting and nerddom needs. Would you been okay with me pretty much providing you with any beer though no there are definitely a lot that uh 
I do not enjoy. So, a lot of loggers uh, come to mind. Although I am quite taken with uh, the traditional blue-collar loggers these days. I, I have a soft spot for Molson Canadian and Labatt. Okay. Anyway, this is our first special episode, fourth episode. It'll have a number. I'm sure I'll come up with something. So, there, there are two things happening here. Okay. Uh, the second half, I believe, uh, stick around for that, is going to be... Well, we had a, a interesting experience after we recorded the last podcast. Care Bear Mike showed up at your door. If you recall, we mentioned Care Bear Mike quite a lot on our previous podcast, um, and he may or may not have dropped in about... 10 minutes after we finished recording? He did. I was nervous. But I believe we actually talk about all of this on that very special episode. So we'll play you some of that at the end of this episode. Um, But the first part of this episode is actually going to be dedicated to a knitting event that both Viking and I got to attend um, recently. Actually, just this past weekend. So Toronto Knitters Frolic. Okay, so... We went to the Toronto's Knitters Frolic this past weekend. I've been quite a few times already. I have um, been once this th- th- time. This time, yeah. Um, so while we were going through, I had a great time. Um, I ran into a, a surprising number of people that I didn't necessarily know were going to be there that I then recognized, and that was fun. Um, I had a time. I ran into someone, so that was interesting. That was like physically, you just collided with them. Yes, it was. It was by the uh, the the old Japanese village diorama. Okay, and you just physically collided with them. These things happen. All right. Was did anyone fall over? I'm imagining, um, because I'm sure you have an age range written somewhere on your notes there that you collided with like a granny or something. This was not the case. That would be very awful. And how dare you stereotype <laughs> the type of people I went, who go I'm to the Toronto granny. Knitters Frolic. Okay. My I, goodness, there were there were seven-year-old girls there. Okay. Selling was, cookies. Yes. I, for Girl I Guides. I believe I bought you a box of Girl Guide cookies. Um, so for me, it was a little bit different this year uh, because I have had the wonderful experience of uh, knowing just how much yarn I own. Um, because something crazy is happening in my life right now. And what is happening in your life right now? Why is there no table that we normally record <laughs> at? And why have you told me this is the last episode that we'll be recording in this echoey space? Um, so I am moving, um, and I'm in the middle of that process right now. Uh, I'm also in the middle of, like, becoming a homeowner for the first time. Dun, dun, dun. Sounds terrifying, but I'm going to own a dishwasher. I'm so excited. It is terrifying, but owning a dishwasher is the greatest <laughs> thing in the world. Isn't that great when you're like super excited to own a dishwasher? I recommend getting the dishwasher tabs instead of the powder. Okay, I think I will do that. Um, so anyways, this means that I have actually pretty recently packed up all of my stash that is in my apartment. Um... And I know just how many boxes that takes. How many boxes does that take? Well, there's two of those medium-sized boxes. There's two of a comparable Tupperware 
uh, bins that are also bigger than the medium-sized boxes that are full of wool. And then there's another one of about that size full of fleece and spinning fiber. And then there's two banker's boxes full of spinning fiber. And then there's a separate, separate box of projects, not box, bag of projects that I have set aside because I need to get something while the rest of that is stored away and I can't touch it. For those who can't see what a medium-sized box is, basically it equates to a lot. It's like There's two a feet lot. by two feet. Many boxes. Yeah. Um, cubed? Squared? Cubed. I don't know. Has volume. It's a lot of wool, and that's not counting the part of my stash that is in the upper part of the cupboard at my parents' place right now. Um, so I have a lot of wool. Uh, and then also, before we went to the Knitter's Frolic, I am... I was in the know that I was going to have to make mortgage payments, so I would set myself a budget for the Knitter's Frolic much lower than I have in past years and totally spent over that anyways, but was very um, specific about my, my purchases this time. So it was a little bit different for me on that one, um, but there were some things that I really, really liked about it. Um, I also overspent my budget because there were things that I really, really liked about yeah. it. Yeah, um, but I, I noticed that I'm going to quickly go through the things I like because I really want to focus on what you said because while we were doing this through the Knitter's uh, Frolic, while I could take my hands and my eyes off of the yarn on the tables, I did notice that you were taking copious amounts of notes and like scribbling down things furiously at everything you saw. So I really want to hear all of your, all of your comments about this. Um, so there were things that I really liked. The first one was uh, we came across, I don't remember what the company's name was, but they were uh, yarn blanks. So they're the, the knitted blanks where they pre-knit them and then they had done them in different colors and one of them actually had like this cool lumberjack scene painted on it. The idea is you unravel it and uh, wind it into a ball that you can knit from so it makes different patterns, but in the knitted blank form it had like yumber, lumberjacks ch chopping wood and stuff on it, which I thought that was cool. That was fantastic, but I didn't understand it. Why would you sell me something that is a beautiful picture only for me to take that picture apart? It's like buying a beautiful painting so that I could paint over it. Not really. Because I really need that canvas and frame. No, not really. Because you can, so like the background, it was a whole bunch of different colors and it's partly like hand dyed wool. So it puts it in very specific places. So yeah, I guess you may have wanted to just frame the knitted blank that they had uh, done all of the decoration on. But it is also another way that you can dye wool to get different colors in specific places. It's um, like buying a sweater so I can make four pairs of socks. All right, fine. I thought it was cool. I liked it was it. very cool. It was just um, confusing. I, I was also really excited to see that there were a lot more indie dyers there. Um, like, like smaller indie dyer wool that was both there from like the stores and then also just uh, with selling their own yarn, which I thought was um, exciting. Um, and then I also, there's uh, specifically, I wanted to talk about the wool. I bought, but I think we'll talk about that a little bit more because I know you had some some things to say about um, the uh, the mindful wool project. So yeah, that wool project. But you can start somewhere else. Okay, so tell me, how did you how did you enjoy the Toronto's Knitter Frolic? Knitter, Knitter's Frolic. Let me tell you what I enjoyed about that Knitter's Frolic. I enjoyed the red Nissan. That uh, had taken up two spaces uh, in the parking lot. Because this red Nissan, I feel, really unified everybody uh, within the Knitter's Frolic. There was nobody who didn't know about this red Nissan. Everyone was aware because the line to get in went directly by it. Uh, this becomes more relevant later on. But let me tell you, as I got in there and I paid my $7 and was given a smiley face stamp 
that did not make it through one round of hand washing. So, you know, maybe better ink. Uh, no, you, you're supposed to give them the inside of your wrist. Well, I wasn't told that. I was confused. I was Have you ever slip gone to a bar? <laughs> like I thought that what? not a bar that stamps you. You you have so if you put it on the back of your hand, of course it washes off the first time. You're That's supposed to put it on the inside because then it doesn't show on the back of your hand in case it doesn't completely wash off the next day, so it doesn't transfer to your face when you fall asleep on it. Um, but also you put it on the inside of your wrist because then it doesn't come off as easily in hand washing process on the inside of your arm. They gave me a slip of paper. I thought that was my ticket. I didn't realize that was for a raffle. It was, it was look. Did I'm you just, forget to enter the raffle? I entered the raffle because they explained to me what the paper was, but that was after the smiley face was on my hand in a position that it wasn't great. Anyway, it doesn't matter because no one was checking that smiley face. But I went in, and the first thing I saw was Serenity Silk Singles, which was a 100-gram Merino Goat Cashmere Silk Hybrid, at which point I realized that cashmere was goat. You didn't know that cashmere was goat? I thought cashmere was a song and a type of toilet paper <laughs> and something rich people enjoyed. Oh, but it's no. super soft. I understand that. I have, I happen to have some cashmere, so like it's not 100% cashmere, it's cashmere and merino because I have a sensitivity to goat fiber so I can't, I find actual 100% cashmere feels scratchy to me. Um, which is not normal, but that's just my own sensitivity to goat. But when it's with Merino, it, I find it super, super soft. So, like, you can feel that, and it's super, super soft. It is very soft. But I feel that in our culture, we normally try to stay away from goat. You know, we don't eat it very much. We don't play buzkashi very much. Goat cheese? Goat, uh, well, oh, that's true. Goat cheese is delicious. Goat's milk? No, people don't want goat's milk. Okay, fine. Goat's cheese. Yeah, goat's cheese. I'll, I'll, goat so brie. Goat's cheese. I love me some goat brie. And and goat uh, goat fiber, I guess we can say. that That is desirable. Anyway, I didn't know cashmere was goat. I learned that that was very exciting. Uh, but while I was looking at these Serenity Silk Singles uh, for $32 a skein. That's pretty good. It's all right, I guess. Uh, I found that I was alone. Uh, Ms. The North had <laughs> abandoned me. Sorry, there was so much yarn everywhere. <laughs> in in this sea of chaos. Uh, so for a moment, I thought, well, I'll just look at these indigo gobstoppers, which are dyed from the inside out and then the outside in, which is I a very exciting process. I have one of those. Yes, it, it looks great to display, uh, which is a whole new thing I'm learning about, about displaying yarn rather than using it. Uh, but luckily, Ms. The North has very distinctive blue hair. So I just scanned all of the uh, all of the crowd until I saw kind of like a blue orb bobbing around. <laughs> At which point I knew I was found once again uh, and, and could carry on. So this is actually a very important thing to do at any con, but especially at a Toronto Knitters Frolic. This is, this, we did have, because we also had my mother with us um, for the, for the, Frolic, and she was much harder to find. I constantly have to look for her. I made a mental note about what her coat looked like. It was black. She was wearing all black. But it was ribbed. It was puffily ribbed. She does have one of those poofy coats. Yes. But luckily, Miss the North was also easy to find because, as she has so rudely pointed out, the demographics are pretty much 45 to 65 year old white women. Uh, it's shocking how just consistent this was. As the uh, the only one Viking there, uh, I feel 
that I changed their demographics greatly. Uh, just by being the fifth male in attendance, that must have had a huge impact on the numbers. You only saw five guys? In the line. I'm uh, not sure there may have been more later, but I did count as we were walking through the line uh, to, to wait, which was quite substantial. Uh, and that was one of the more interesting things is the line culture. Uh, I believe that we've actually talked about line culture on a previous podcast and how it doesn't exist anymore because you can buy your movie tickets uh, online now. But line culture is exciting because you can talk to people and meet people and just kind of chat about all of the things you're passionate about because they're there because they love knitting, you're there because you love knitting, or because you're there because you're on a podcast about knitting for reasons. Well, uh, yes? Oh, no. Go ahead. Yeah, so the, the whole line culture was just a lot of fun for me. It's been a long time since I've sat in a line and been able to talk to random people or have them overhear your charming conversation and join into it. Uh, again, one of my friends happened to see us in line and, uh, and joined in with us, thus bypassing about 50 or 60 other people behind us. Uh, so really, everybody wins in this situation. And I got to take a sweet picture of you guys. Yeah, it was good. It was good. So, line culture, hair dye, following people, demographics. Very, very specific demographics. Uh, but one of the things that I also learned as I was wandering around is there is a lot of uh, gatekeeping, judgment, I don't know. But there's clearly a big difference between industrial knit and hand knit and industrial dyed and hand dyed products. What do you mean gatekeeping? There's some judgment. There's judgment? Yes, there did seem to be some judgment about the, the industrial knit and the industrial dyed things are not as acceptable as the uh, the hand dyed and hand knit products. I well, I think that depends who you're talking to. Because you were hanging out with me and I dye my own yarn and I understand the process. I prefer and tend to enjoy the look of hand dyed yarns better. Um, but for consistency and color, an industrial dye process to some extent. Of the, but I I even like it depends what company you're com like you're talking about because something like. Um, Briggs and Little that I visited over the summer, um, which is in New Brunswick, um, they're like a larger scale and they have color consistency to the dialects because they tend to dye a lot more on the process. Whereas when I'm dyeing my own yarn, I don't have the same kind of color consistency on that one. If you're talking about something like acrylic, um, I, I don't like acrylic yarn. It hurts my hands to knit with and I don't find it warm. And I, so like I'm a yarn snob uh in that way as um, i imagine most people who went to a knitting convention no because there's tons of people who don't they would buy different yarn than i would buy but they're still knitters these are not your 3.99 balls of acrylic off the shelves of walmart no most of that was not present at the frolic i think there was some of that but not a lot it's like the person who likes comic books that they occasionally read from the library and people who are going to comic book conventions. And that's what I really realized about the Toronto Knitters Frolic. Is knitters are huge nerds. <laughs> like just huge nerds. The, in the exact same way that comic book and science fiction fans are nerds. And I can say this from both sides of the, uh, of the argument. So that was one of the things that I found really interesting. At the Toronto Knitters Frolic. Oh. Keep going. There Sorry. are celebrities. Jay. 
Dealing with the sound. So where we I, I paused for a moment because Jay signaled that perhaps our recording had stopped. Uh, and it had not. He was wrong, as is his way. He was just warning you. Jay is great. He's also really big into the nerd side of things. Uh, also a big fan of going to comic conventions. You, did you did you take Jay, our, our sound guy, to a comic book convention? I was going to try to work that in, but we're really going all over the place right <laughs> yeah, now. So place. let me tell you about how knitters are nerds, right? Because you're listening, you know this. You're listening to a podcast about your hobby. That right there should tell you something. And it's okay to be a nerd or a geek or whatever word you want to use. Uh, so there, there are terms and celebrities at the Knitter's Frolic that mean nothing to anybody else. So in two weeks, on May 13th, is the Toronto Comic and Arts Festival, TCAF, at the Toronto Reference Library. Are you sure that's the day? It's a Saturday. Yeah, that's Saturday. Okay. Awesome. So... Day before Mother's Day? It is the day before Mother's Day. It's also on Mother's Day. It's a Mother's Day tradition. Ah. Yeah, so I'm really excited to see people like uh, Chester Brown and Michelle Rabagliotti who has Paul the Beer coming out, uh, so maybe we should try to get one of your Quebecois friends to import that through whatever uh, bootleggery they have going <laughs> on. Uh, Dave Keen is going to be there, which is amazing. Dave Keen, what are you doing at a convention like TCAF? Uh, Jason Liu is going to be there, and so is Jeff Lemire. All what? of these things probably mean very, very little. I'm pretty sure Jeff Lemire probably means more to... Maybe. But these names mean very little outside of uh, the specific scene. So when I hear you say names or, or concepts, uh, like there are publishers like Top Shelf, Uni, and First Second, uh, and then I hear you talk about things like Brooklyn Tweed. And... Brooklyn Tweed. I always talk about Brooklyn Tweed. Yes. Or Zolta Teague. All of these things. And, and they mean nothing to anyone outside of the scene. But when you get really excited about something inside your scene that people outside your scene don't know about... That's how you know you got some geekdom and nerddom going on. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, to, to sidetrack, since you asked, I did take uh, take Sound Guy Jay to see Jeff Lemire speak at the uh, Toronto Reference Library. Uh, and he talked about his latest book, Roughneck, as well as Secret Path, oh. which is a graphic novel that he made with Gord Downey. Uh, so that was a really exciting time. He sketched in our books, he signed our, our books... Uh, in the same way that I imagine that there are probably people out there having their skeins of, or skines of wool, signed by famous knitting celebrities. I don't think they get that done. They might get, like, project books signed, but I don't think they get their, their yarn <laughs> labels signed. Maybe you're just not in deep enough. Oh, I guess not. I'm not enough of a... I should stop this podcast immediately. <laughs> you just, you just need to find the darker side of the fandom. Oh. I think also we can say that there were, um... There's a translation between knitting and then people who are also into other nerdy things, like Doctor Who. <laughs> yes, with scarves. I imagine Doctor Who probably brought a lot of people into knitting. Yeah, well, the scarves, there's a lot of Doctor Who patterns, but I mean specifically at one point we were talking to a lot of people who were wearing uh, Doctor Who t-shirts at the... the place. Oh, the, yeah. the, the Stone Angel, the Weeping yeah. Angel individual. Yeah. Don't blink. Yes. Yeah. So, and, and that's one of the things, right? So at a comic book convention, you would you would expect to find things like that. Uh, Ms. The North found something like that at Toronto's Knitter Frolic and surreptitiously took photographs of her. Well, she wasn't facing me. I was taking pictures of you. 
But only because her shirt was in the shot. It's true. So, I didn't post it anywhere. That's a little weird. But cosplay is actually really important at the Toronto Knitters Frolic as well, I discovered. What? Because, I, yeah, I was shamed by at least a couple people uh, for not wearing any knitwear myself. You were not shamed for not wearing A little knitwear. bit of being who, shamed. Who shamed you? Well, Ms. Uh, Ms. The North might have made a comment about it, as might have Mrs. Ms. The North. You think my mother and I? <laughs> and also, definitely, uh, the, the aforementioned, the previously mentioned friend that ran into me in the line. But everyone there was wearing knitwear, and apparently it's a big thing about wearing hand-knit things versus, you know, a, a sweater that I picked up from Ralph Lauren. Well, I, so I thought it was funny when we were doing that line culture talking to your friend who showed up and hung out with us in line, that she was talking about how she had uh, committed a knitting... Faux pas. Faux pas by wearing a machine knit sweater the year before so that she was wearing a hand knit, um, was she wearing a scarf, I think, that she had when she came uh, this year. So she said she had made sure because she was in such a rush last year and then people had stopped her to be like, I love your sweater. Did you make it? And of course she had to say no, but at a knitting convention, that's kind of weird. I think that's that's way more judging than I get, but perhaps there are people out there who do that. I also find sometimes, um, there's been some years where I've worn pieces that I really, really like that people have commented on, um, but I don't particularly like people touching me. And when you're at a knitting convention, when someone's wearing a knitted garment, people tend to like, like, will, like, grab the end of your scarf and things like that. Yeah, it's weird. It's like at this convention, a smile actually is implied consent. Oh, don't go there. And it's, uh, it's very <laughs> confusing. It's gonna go dark places. For me, I knew well enough that you do not touch other individuals, especially individuals you don't know. Yeah. Yeah, but that, uh, that, that doesn't seem to be the way. Uh, and, and that's always struck me as odd, but I guess I'm used to it because I have a new... Uh, new-ish baby. He's becoming a little man now. But new-ish and being a baby also seems to imply consent that strangers can just shove their face in a stroller and start touching uh, the baby. No, that's because it's not a baby. okay. No, it's not okay. Especially when any uh, amounts of dairy on uh, the person's mm. finger will cause uh, my child to break out in hives. Which has happened in a couple of occasions where strangers touch my child. But what are you going to do? Are you going to shout in the middle of a place, you know, instead the damage is done and you just kind of want to get away from that awkward situation. Uh, but Can you also, just, like, put a sign on the edge of the stroller saying, please don't touch my baby? That would not go over well, no. That would be uh, seen as very rude and passive-aggressive. Uh, but uh, it's also, like, women who are pregnant. Uh, having strangers oh, yeah. touch their, their, their belly all, uh, happens more often than it should, which is probably never... Yeah, it should probably not happen. Like, consent should always require consent. Yes. Yes. I think that's the basis of, yeah. If there's any takeaway from this episode of our <laughs> podcast, let it be that. Consent requires consent. Okay. Verbal consent. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what else did you find about the, uh, the frolic? I found that their camera policy really needs to be updated. Did you read their camera policy when you well, walked in? Well, I've noticed in other years that they have a sign that says there's no photography. So, I had left my camera in my bag. Because you broke the camera policy. By having it in my bag? By taking pictures. I didn't take pictures. Oh, I guess I did on my camera you phone You just inside. talked about how you took pictures yeah, of I did. the Sorry. lady with the shirt. I was also carrying like my big camera because I was taking pictures of you guys outside in line. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're trying hard, right? They had this whole 
diatribe about how they're trying to become social media friendly, which is like, you don't need to tell me why you have a camera policy, just do it. And they want to be better, but because so many things in the knitting scene are secret, uh, they couldn't just have, you know, take pictures of whatever you want. Because apparently, you know, you've got to pay for the patterns. You don't want people taking pictures of the patterns. The dye colors and the way that they're done, that's all very specific. Uh, I'm sure the art yarn, which I'll talk about in a second, is, you know, very special. And you don't want people putting weird babies in their yarn in the same way that you did. I don't know. Uh, But but they are trying. So, so long as that wasn't the focal piece... uh, you know, it was okay to take pictures, so I think you're oh. actually probably fine. With oh, the, uh, with picture. my picture of you. Yeah. Yeah. I just like. I didn't know that. Chaos. I would have actually taken more pictures than using my good camera rather than my camera phone. Well, again, that, so you were trying to sneakily like take pictures that you didn't think you could take. Well, I was mostly taking because well, so I, mean, I know a that a lot of the north here. Well, well, I was trying to take a picture of you and the t-shirt because I thought that that was funny, um, mm. but also I. To prove to you that she was wearing a Doctor Who t-shirt because we weren't standing in the same spot at that moment in time. Um, but also, I know that a lot of the uh, other podcasters who went, who I follow on social media, and the, the vendors themselves, because I know a number of the Sorry vendors. Sorry we couldn't come were, to your meetup. Yeah. Let me... I'll do that in a second. <laughs> um, that my... Uh, that some of the uh, knit store owners uh, also took pictures and posted them on their social media as well. Um, so I know that like people and people have done that for the last couple of years, even though they've had an absolutely zero camera policy. But I'm glad to see that they like updated that to like because that's like true if you're taking pictures of something because you're like eh, I'm just gonna make this pattern that's stealing. So don't. Do it's that. it's interesting that there's not a lot of piracy in the knitting scene. You would yeah. think that there would be because it is so easy uh, to just pirate pdf files and i know in a lot of fandoms that's something that runs rampant uh but there does seem to be that camaraderie and that shared experience among knitters where there's not a lot of illegal pattern sharing yeah well i think that people just have respect for the craft for the most part which is lovely um so it it's because we were talking about this outside in the line like there's a lot like the community gets really upset um because there's been a few times where people have posted patterns uh or have patterns that they've designed and sold and then they've been picked up actually by like big box store kind of companies like major clothing manufacturers will post them but like so it's just bad form in that sense so i guess they're you know it's like you pay artists to support the craft if you want people to keep coming up with new designs and you want it to still be um an industry that's sustainable then you need to actually buy into it if people are just trying to pirate things there is no industry you're not gonna there's not gonna be a craft anymore because the designers can't get support right they can't support themselves so why would they bother and i wonder if it's because knitting cannot be free so in a lot of uh hobbies if you're into anime or into comic books and you pirate those things you are enjoying the hobby without spending any money if you pirate video games or movies you're enjoying the hobby without spending any money if you pirate a knitting pattern, that's useless to you without still a substantial financial buy-in. Uh, so that's one of the things that I was looking at, is that you have... Uh, but you're, a, you're not advocating, like, pirating video games and stuff. I'm not advocating these things, but I'm saying that that might be why it's more rampant. Because if you do that, you can do it without ever having to spend money. Mm. Whereas knitting, there's, there's no way, unless, I don't know, you knit a balaclava for your first go at things 
and then wear that to appropriate some yarn, which I also don't advocate. But what I'm saying is that you definitely have a financial incentive not to gain any weight. Oh. I was, I was doing some math. Yarn so, dieting? Yarn dieting, I suppose. So, skein or skein? What's the, how do you say it? I say it wrong. I'm going to say it a lot. So I'm going to say it wrong, because I've been corrected. Yeah. I think I say skein? Skein? I think it's supposed to be skein. Is that a third option? Going with skein. Okay. So, let's say that you were going to make a sweater. I was looking at this. So for you to make your sweater, you'd need about 800 meters of yarn. Probably like eight to 800 to 1,000, depending on what sort of sweater I was making. Sure. And with each skein running about $16 for a good deal, $32, you know, for, for a better better quality or a more expensive so something made out of cashmere yeah sure something made out of cashmere merino silk uh that would run you about 66 dollars with four skeins uh to make your sweater myself plus tax yes plus tax being a much larger uh viking than ms the north i'm a smaller viking yes it would cost me twice as much uh to make yours so if you were ever to you know gain twice your body mass uh it would now be costing you you know 80 dollars extra for each time you want to make a sweater which seems to be pretty often i don't know how it translates into shawl sizing but it gets up there so the point is there's never a free way to knit i could go ahead and pirate my 4.99 pattern but i still have to spend 140 dollars in materials at the end of the day so if i'm spending 140 dollars I'm probably not so worried about the $4 pattern. And I wonder if that has to do with the lack of pirating in the community. I don't know if you... I, I don't know. I guess we could open that up if we had a forum for people to speak at. You guys can Callers. email us. <laughs> Callers. now. You can, uh, I don't know, respond, send us an email. At some point I'll make a website. We'll probably talk about the Instagram and all that stuff later. It's true. Uh, Ms. The North was just standing on her couch holding a triangle up in the air. Okay, so before we went to the Knitter's Frolic, I had been trying furiously to finish my uh, Find Your Fade shawl that I talked about the last time uh, by Andrea Maori. Because um, I, I decided to join the fade and it's seven different colors. Uh, so three of them are hedgehog fibers. Two of them I dyed myself. Three of them I dyed myself, and then one of them is a undyed merino uh, single uh, spun. It's all fingering weight um, that I got. But I wanted to show you asked about uh, shawl sizing and how that translated. So I've only used part of some of the colors, but there's a lot of yarn in this. And I held it up today and realized that it's like much taller than me. And that's how it translates into shawl sizing. So I guess it just depends on the shawl that you're knitting. I didn't finish it in time for the frolic because I wanted it to wear it, like you were saying, how people wear their their yarn cosplay yeah cos knitting cosplay. Knitting cosplay is how you called it um i did finish it two days later but yeah shawls are kind of a different beast because you can make a shawl out of uh i've made some out of like one kind and they're more like little scarf wraps and then versus like bigger shawls which could take like this is more yarn than a sweater like this is way more yarn than a sweater and also quite an expensive amount of yarn in the shawl yeah can we talk about art yarn? 
Uh, you can talk about art yarn. No, I don't understand art yarn. I need to hear you explain to me why it's a thing. So you told me that again. That's the that's the yarn that's pretty and sits on your shelf, and you don't knit with it because there are plastic babies sticking well, out of well, it. Well, I didn't necessarily say you don't knit with it. I I, it's personal. I'm not necessarily a fan of yarn that is that extremely art yarn. Um, because for me, in terms of the type of knitwear that I make, that's not something that I would use. Um, and I also would find it rather uncomfortable to wear, but like, there's also art in galleries that I would never hang in my house, but it's still art. It's still like something someone has created. Um, I don't know specific, cause I didn't look at the art yarn in as much detail as you did. Um, I'm assuming it's someone has hand spun and they're applying different things into their art yarn. So as a technique, it would be really hard to spin with something like that and therefore kind of an interesting process to go through. I'm sure there was less extreme ones than the yarn you were talking about, which had plastic baby dolls in the yarn. Um, if I got my skein of yarn, unwrapped it, put some Hot Wheels on the yarn and wrapped it back up, could I double my profit? I don't know. I don't know how much that yarn cost. No, I don't either. I was a little distressed by it and just kind of backed away. <laughs> Pretty much anything that involves plastic babies has to be babies. Away. <laughs> no, yeah, it's not ideal. At, uh, at my baby shower, well, my son's baby shower, uh, there were ice cubes with little plastic babies in them. That's and, creepy. Yeah, the idea was to melt the ice cube first to free the baby from its... Uh, it's Arctic Ice death prison? trap. Yeah, I guess that was the idea. Now, my brother-in-law won. Uh, I think he cheated by using the laws of thermodynamics as a science teacher. So the rest of us were trying to heat it or breathe onto it to, to warm it up. He knew that he should do that combining it with shaking the... Uh, and it's never okay to shake a baby. Let me just say that right now. But by shaking the cup that the ice cube baby was in... Uh, because motion translates to heat. I, thermodynamics, look it up. I don't know. He was a science teacher. He cheated by doing things the smart way. And that is why he won that game. But these babies, very creepy. Uh, and I did appropriate a few of them. And I have hidden them around my house uh, in order to someday distress my wife when she gazes upon them. The problem being... She's going to listen to the podcast and no, not know where they are? that won't matter because neither of us know where they are anymore. What? How did you lose them? Why, they've been up for almost two years now. They're, they, I don't know where they've gone. Which is why we didn't do Easter eggs this year. Yes, we hide Easter eggs and then we forget where they are and then we find them months later. But now that uh, we have a son who I've said is allergic to milk, it is unacceptable for him to find those Easter eggs before we do. So, no more Easter eggs. Uh, and I am saying this out loud, a little worried about the choking hazard that these babies <laughs> might uh, pose. You might go home immediately and look for plastic babies. I do not have any idea where they are. Mm, terrifying. Yes. Mm. Maybe okay. he's already found them. Mm. So, let me tell you, there I am looking at the art yarn, and who comes walking through the convention? Well, I don't know who. But what were they on about? They were on about the red Nissan. Yes, <laughs> the red Nissan is back into this story. Do you own a red Nissan? Do you own a red Nissan? And as she walked behind her, cheers of, tow the car, no one likes the red Nissan, we all hate the red <laughs> Nissan, erupted from this convention. And once again, it was what drew us together. 
Uh, and there was a sense of community over the shared hatred experience of this oh, red knee song. Oh, you're giving knitters such a bad name. You're saying we're united by our combined hatred. I think all groups are united by their combined hatred, but that's a whole different I'm podcast. united by my combined love of the craft. Yes, love uh, binds people together, but hatred keeps them together. Uh, look at any form of nationalism. So, this red Nissan, I don't know who had to own up to it, and I wasn't there when the owner did out themselves, if they actually outed themselves. But what I do know is that when we left the convention, it was only taking up one space and had not been towed, which saddened me a little. But, uh, but yes, made, made more sense. Also so- strange that it took them so long to finally get on this red Nissan. Um, but so I already admitted that I did not stick to my budget and, uh, you were saying you did not stick to your budget either. No, tell me about your budget first. Well, I gave myself a budget of, uh, of some amount of cash, uh, and then I bought yarn for like, well, everyone was pointing out that because with tax it came to $25 more than my already small budget that... (laughs) And it was like a gross overstepping of my budget, but it was below $100, which is awesome for me because usually I'll have a budget of about 300 for the Knitter's Frolic uh, when I do this, but I clawed it back this year. Um, but also I bought enough yarn for a sweater, so uh, that was good. And I, I bought, can I tell you what I bought? You absolutely can. You totally know what I bought. Um, I bought uh, some Mineville um, DK single spun. Uh, it's in this beautiful, I forget what the colorway is actually called. It's in a box somewhere right now. Um, and it's like this gray and pink color. It's really light. The colors I, had names? Uh, I think some of them have colorways on them. They might not. Yeah. I, don't, I have to check the label. Um, but it's, uh, it's beautiful and I love it. It's kind of a different color. I don't normally buy like baby pink colors, but I have made um, the... Ondawa sweater from one of the Brooklyn Tweeds and I forget who the designer was right now so I don't want to get it wrong I think it might be uh, I'll just I'll look it up after um but I made it ages ago in um Mad Tosh DK um in a I think it's called glazed pecan is the color it's like this beautiful kind of bronzy it looks like glazed pecan are you gonna add the designer in your intro where you say hi this is the north Thanks for listening to our new podcast. Are you making fun of my intros? No, I love those intros, but they're just such a different audio quality than the uh, the rest of the podcast. Yeah, it's, it's like you went sound. into a sound recording booth and then did that one part. When you leave, I actually go record in my closet That's and then... What, with blankets hung yeah, over. Yeah, hung over. Actually, I just put the blankets over my head. As you know. one does. <laughs> just podcast that like way. Like a ghost. Yeah. I also scare people. No. Like uh, a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, I wanted to make that sweater again because I, I made a version of that um, before that I wear all the time and I was like, well, I could make another one and it would look beautiful in a lighter color. So I'm going to do that with that. So that's what I bought at the Netter's Frolic. Um, and I particularly like Mineville. Um, did you... Did you Segway! To, I don't know. I don't want to... Like, if you're not going to say it, I just... No, I can no, tell no. You, I can tell you more about Mineville if you want. I don't know anything about them. Uh, what I did gather is they're a type of yarn, but they're dyed in a different way, so they're not as expensive as the yarn would be. If it, I don't know anything. Tell me. Explain. 
Well, okay, so there, um, so Mineville is started by the women who run Fleece Artist and I think Handmaiden, um, which are two East Coast uh, yarn dyeing companies from uh, Nova Scotia. Um, and they, through Fleece Artist, they always had the, they, well, they had the opportunity to sell uh, quantities of yarn at, like, unique yarns at a lower price point um, because they're sort of, like, whether they're, uh, different ends. I don't know how they go through sourcing them, but they get them for a less expensive price through the fact that they already own these other dye companies. Um, and then they dye them in colorways that are one of a kind. So, um, which, so like if I do, if you order yarn from a certain yarn company, you can say like, I want this sea mist color. This I'm making up a colorway. Um, and you would say, I want 10 skinds of the sea mist colorway and they'll dye them. They have like a dye recipe that you can order and get again. Because of the way they source the yarn for the Mineville wool project, um, my understanding is that the lot quality of whatever the wool base is that they get can differ from lot to lot. And then the hand dyes, um, it's wonderful because they're dyed by some of their dyers who are like who are the professional dyers who work for them for Fleece Artist and Handmaiden. Um, so they're really skilled dyers. And so you get these beautiful, beautiful colorways. Um, but when you buy their wool, you have to understand that you need, to, if you can get a sweater's quality or quantity, then you want to buy a sweater's worth of it at the time because you won't be able to get it again because they're always different on that. So it makes it a little bit less expensive um, on that site, which meant that. So let's compare that to my only knowledge of, of dyeing yarn. Okay. Uh, let's say that I wanted Algonquin Adventure from the My Heart Lies North Etsy store. <laughs> yes. Uh, is that something that I would have to buy all at once or is that something that is repeated? Okay, so it so like hand dyed yarn is always slightly different because you can't you're not a machine, so you can't make it exactly the same. But I have a dye pattern and like recipe that I use so that I mix the, the colors the same way um, every time in terms of like the strength of the dye. And then I also have a, I have like a blueprint for myself in terms of how I lay out the the skeins that I'm dyeing and where I place the yarn, but it doesn't always, like, it depends how it goes in and through. So it doesn't always hit exactly the same spot on every single skein, but I try my best to make them as even as I possibly can. So when you're knitting a project that takes, say, three skeins, you wouldn't want to just knit one, like, knit through one skein completely and then switch to the next one because you might be able to see a, di a difference. So you would stagger them. So I would knit like two rows with one, two rows with the other. And so I'd have them wound into three balls at a time and just sort of like switch like I was doing color changes the whole way up. Um, but I recommend that on all of my uh, on all of my wool when I actually send out the labels. It says that and it says that in my policies on my Etsy store as well. My heart lies north. Oh, thanks for that. That's a little Etsy. plug. little plug there. Um, but so you kind of like and I, I've known like even... Uh, professional dyers who who dye professionally but they're hand dyeing their wool as well uh where their dyelets for some reason are slightly darker than they were the time we ordered the same colorway before um it's just but you have to understand that because you can't get the look of hand dyed yarn from your industrial dye processes it doesn't look the same so if you like the look of hand dyed yarn that's one of the things that comes along with it and in order to be taken seriously by other knitters you of course need to use hand dyed yarn and needs to be hand that's a, You're so sassy. As, no, it's accurate. You're the it's sassiest. Accurate. It's accurate. And, and I think that's part of the thing about, you know, all of the unique terminology that also gets thrown around is you really have to be aware of this. You know, knitting is not a scene for an amateur 
to think they're an expert in right away just because they can knit and purl. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting because so much of what I was overhearing at this convention was going over my head. Unfortunately, the acoustics were so awful or so amazing, uh, if you're a spy, at this convention that the hearing radius was about one meter. If you were more than a meter away from people, you could not overhear them. And I really wanted to uh, steal knowledge from other people talking. But I picked up a little. I learned the difference between fingering, Aaron, uh, DK weight which, you know, was something new to me, very exciting. And, uh, you know, the, the idea that different things have different names. So there are some people who are spinners, uh, you know, and then if you're a spinner, that perhaps puts you an echelon above because you're not just buying the yarn, you're taking the fleece uh, and, and, and spinning it. No, 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 there's not a hierarchy like that. It, I think there is. I don't think so. Well, that lady pedaling her beautiful spinning wheels seemed to... Uh, well, no, I think she was, I, so I get that from time to time um, where I get asked if I want to start spinning or if I am a spinner, but I think that's because I look younger and it's, it's, it's not as rare for someone my age to be a knitter. That's actually really common for people to know how to knit. Um, but I think the spinning, it's like spinning wheels range anywhere from like 500 bucks to $2,000, right? They're a vast investment so unless you grew up in a household that already had one you probably wouldn't have just stumbled upon it so there's less i think she might have just been surprised because the spinners tend to be people who have been spinning for years who are older but that's not even true anymore too because i know a number of younger spinners but um i know the the women from the actually i'm hoping because i didn't get to go to the guild meeting the last time because i was sick but i have joined the guild so i'm hoping to go to the guild meeting next week um for the weavers and spinners guild um that they were saying they wanted to get more young people into the guild uh because they're they're seeing a, a lack of younger people in the guild so. are there tankards of ale at the guild <laughs> i know it should be. i don't believe so um so i think she may have just been shocked that i was as opposed to like because people are curious, all that stuff is really curious, and people look at it, but probably don't buy a lot. So I guess if you find someone who actually is like, yes, I do spin, then she's like, oh, well, we can show you all of this other stuff because you'll understand. That's because she was showing me some of the the fleece they had for like t taster testing what it's like to spin the smaller ones because every wool is different, right? And so. I have no no problem if there is a hierarchy because when I go to my comic book conventions, are there hierarchies there? There there are there are the people who read Marvel DC. There are the people who go beyond that to maybe some other imprints like Vertigo, which is still DC. But then there are those who are reading the indie books and who are aware of some of the indie authors. And uh, there definitely is a lot of judgment about what you like and what it's okay to like and what it's not okay to like. Uh, a lot of gatekeeping, and again, that's within any fandom. Uh, it's the same as if you're into a television show, say Doctor Who. There are some people who will judge you if you've only watched the David Tennant run or the Matt Smith run, or if you started with Christopher Eccleston, if you weren't aware of the doctors that led up to that. Uh, so, you know, I think I think it is within all fandoms, but it doesn't I, mean that everyone within the fandom believes in that. Yeah, I guess that's true. I, I also have, like, the reverse hierarchy from some from time to time when people don't um because like i come from a different side on the craft where like i don't mind investing the money um in shawls and things and then i'll have people who 
aren't necessarily knitters or they know how to knit, but they knit with acrylic, which is perfectly fine, who might ask questions about, oh, I'd love to make that, or like, where did you get that yarn? And then you direct them to it and they're like, oh God, no, I would never spend that much on, on something like that. And I feel a little bit judged because they're like, oh, you spent way too much on something like that. But it's the enjoyment I get out of the craft and I really enjoy using that kind of like, it's an artisanal <laughs> product, I guess, at that point. Um, as like the material for my for my knitting yeah i mean yeah. With, within any hobby there's there's all of these different sects yeah i guess now, that's true but like with anything in life with anything there was one woman i saw wearing a t-shirt which i think was a joke but if you told me that it wasn't i would absolutely believe you uh she had a t-shirt that says i don't knit i just collect yarn and patterns and <laughs> as i think about your stash and the boxes in the corner i, I start to wonder if that's not the case i knit um, but I also know people who have way larger stashes than me. I also have a fairly, like, of, like, I'm a fairly fast knitter at completing projects. Um, so while I do have a lot of yarn, I also knit quite a few things. Um, so, I don't know. I, I think there's other people I know who collect yarn and take, like, three or four times longer than I do to finish a project. Uh, so I think it depends. But that could be a true statement. <laughs> I've heard rumors of you walking into a movie and coming out with a new toque. Yeah, that's true. That's happened before. Must be awesome for all of the uh, of the people behind you. Is that you pretending to be me with knitting needles? That is the needle It's sound. not that noisy. It's not noisy. Plus, if you're in an action movie, no one can hear anything anyways. The speakers are so loud. So, yeah. So this, this whole idea of the addiction, I think, is something that I can really relate to. Uh, especially the addiction of deals. When I go to TCAF in two weeks... I'm going to be walking around the entire premises trying to find where the best deals are and then I will descend on them with all of my monies whether I need them or not. Uh, and it's an addiction that you can feel within you. I can feel the buzzing of I need this, I need this, I need this. And as I saw the, the Mineville uh, wool, I realized that that was a deal to be had. And even though I did not need any at the moment, I needed to buy it because the addiction was uh, overpowering me. Like I said, I overspent my budget, which was $0. My budget was the $7 entrance fee. Uh, but I could tell there was a deal. I understood it. I knew it was a limited supply. All of these things came together and made me think I need an excuse to purchase this. And an excuse to purchase it, indeed, I found in the form of my mother. For it is Mother's Day coming up soon, as we said. And my mother is a knitter. I also mentioned that I did not know what different weights were, like DK and fingering and Aran. Uh, so I had to call my mom in the middle of this knitting convention and say, Hey, what sort of yarn do you use? She said some words I didn't understand. To which I said, Do you use DK? And then she started going on about how DK is a very common uh, weight and it's used for lots of... At which point I was like, Okay, you use it? Awesome. Uh, how much do you need? 200 meters, 600, 400, and we derived that 400 meters would be an acceptable amount. So there I went back to this Mineville uh, wall and picked up my two skines and paid my monies and I swiped my card through the square reader on the iPad. It was all very exciting and futuristic for me and suddenly I felt more at peace with myself because the addiction <laughs> had been sated. And I recognize that I have a problem. Uh, but I also understand now 
why there are so many people running around with bags of a thousand dollars of yarn in it and how that is just their first run as they put it in their trunks ready to come back in and do that all over again yeah it's a problem <laughs> but it's cool because like when i'm really cold in the winter because i can't afford my heating bill i'll just stack myself full of yarn it'll be fine i'm kidding by the way <laughs> but it's a great fuel to uh to keep you warm at night i could just knit i could knit up a storm I like the joke um, that my my mother had said. Yes, you just you just have to knit or you just have to shop your stash is what she told me, and I laughed because I pointed out that uh, that's what her and one of my really good friends do is they come over and shop my stash, and just go through being like, I need something DK. Do you have any of this? And they'll just end up using um, some of my stash. You've inherited some that way too. I have. Mm -hmm. It's exciting to steal <laughs> from friends. Yeah. There was one other thing that I that I liked there it was the uh, there were project bags, which is a new exciting huh. thing because up till now I just saw people put their stuff in uh, big Ziploc bags, but no project bags. In fact, I almost purchased one uh, as I was trying to sate my my need to to buy to consume. Uh, Ms. the North has a very lovely purpley gray project bag, which is very similar to the color of uh, yarn that she bought. So when she said she doesn't normally buy that color, I was shocked because I was like, oh, that's the exact thing I thought you were going to buy. Uh, it's yes. Pi it's pink gray. Pink gray. Is the color of the yarn I bought. Instead of purple gray. Yeah. Yes. So very different. Yeah. Uh, th these project bags were by J. Henry Design Company, located in Barrie, Ontario. Their fabrics were so cool. They were so amazing. And... After I left, I felt a little guilty that I didn't purchase uh, a project bag. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, how can I get this? I'll look them up on the internet, uh, which led me to their Etsy store, which led me to their project bags, which led me to their project bags, which were cheaper than they were at the Knitter's Frolic. And I don't know how I feel about that. Mm. It was probably because they were through a store rather than through the actual... Oh, it wasn't the supplier that was there. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So I see. I, I had assumed that it was one of the, uh, that, that it was that company that was there selling their bags. But these were people who just bought the bags off of Etsy and then marked them up to make a profit. Maybe. So I'm now learning that I should always be price shopping on the floor uh, to make sure that I am getting the best deal. <laughs> okay. If you're going for deals. <laughs> Shouldn't we all be going for deals? Yeah, I think so. I. I don't like it when, because you have to, if you're selling something, like, it's the difference between giving wholesale discounts, right? Because if they can't get them for wholesale discounts, then they have to mark them up, which is, I tend to find, like, when you, uh, so, like, if I were to sell my yarn at a store, I'd have to reduce the price for the wholesale order to the store so that they would mark it at the same price so that I wasn't undercutting them right. at the same price. So I guess they just didn't do that whole process at their store. No. Which sucks. Yeah. So now I'm actually kind of okay that I don't have that project bag because it would have felt really sad. But his the patterns on the, the bags were amazing. So I will definitely be looking into them online because I do think that they're super rad. And it was nice to be able to feel the quality of the bags. Uh, should you be looking for a project bag? And should you be on the internet or in Barrie, Ontario... Uh, I do highly recommend that you check out J. Hendry Design Co. Yeah. 
And I'm, I really wanted to thank you for coming. And I also really wanted to thank you um, for getting up so early to wait in line with us outside before the Knitter's Frolic opened. So early. It was so early. Um, we also wanted to apologize because I was so excited earlier because um, earlier in the week uh, I had gotten a message via Instagram from Super Karen uh, of the Knit One Geek 2 podcast. Hi, Super Karen. Hi, Super Karen. And she invited us to the Come to the Podcaster meetup, but um, because I'm in the middle of moving, we had gone. I always go for opening, so we didn't stick around all day because both of us had things to go back to in the afternoon. So we're sorry we missed you, but thank you so much for inviting us. And I really like your podcast. I was willing to stick around all day. He would have hung out all day. I did not have important house buying things to do, though. Yeah, you would have ended up buying more wool if you stuck around all day. I would have bought probably the project bag. Yeah. Uh, that is accurate, so I did save money. I, I cannot hang around wool for that long and not buy more wool. Do you feel the, the twinge? Do you feel a physical like vibration of your flesh when you are near things that you want to buy? No, I just wool. I clearly have a problem. Just wool. Yes. <laughs> I guess maybe I only want to buy wool. <laughs> But I have a lot of it right now, which is, it's, I, yeah, I have a lot of things on the go and stuff, so I'm trying to get through those things. And I also, like, am currently in the middle of knitting a sweater um, from Brooklyn Tweed Loft that I bought at the Knitter's Frolic last year that I still haven't finished. I still have a bunch of stuff from the Knitter's Frolic last year that I haven't even gotten through, and a bunch of wool that my brother and his girlfriend gave me for Christmas that I really want to make into a sweater. So I just have so much stuff so i'm i'm you know i'm good i wasn't as invested in the knitter's frolic financially this year as i have been in the past but that's okay who knows maybe i'll create a budget for next year's knitter's frolic but probably not that's uh, danger bay <laughs> yeah. now is there only one knitting convention a year in toronto or do you have like one lined up every two months well so it not in toronto like the knitter's frolic is sort of the really big thing there was so i've gone to the landmade event which is slightly different they were actually there too the upper canada fiber shed um and the canadian U. they were there they had like a little booth area um as well because those were the people who had uh the group that had put on the landmade event down at the gladstone that i went to a while ago um i've also been to in the last little while i told you about the knitters uh the knitting addicts social or not knitting the fiber addicts social um, that was like a smaller one on the east side in Toronto. There's another one of those coming up this weekend, actually, that I'm going to go to on Sunday. And then I was in Port Hope at the Gathering a little while ago, which is like another wool um, convention there. And then I also had that really exciting thing that I think I'll talk about in our next podcast where I got to go watch some alpaca shearing at Nuevo Nart um, in uh, Coburn. So, uh, but we're going to run out of time. It's the best be thing you can do super... in Coburn. <laughs> it's true. There are alpacas and they're adorable. Um, yeah. So, but we'll talk about that another time. So there are a number of different events, but the Toronto's Knitter Frolic is, Knitting Frolic is really the, the big one here. At one point I will actually say the Toronto Knitters Frolic properly and not stutter in the middle of it. Have you ever thought of uh, becoming a vendor? No. Have you looked into it? No, not at the Knitter's Frolic. Because if you do get a vendor's table, I will walk through the uh, the forests of Toronto, collect some twigs, <laughs> uh, lacquer them, and put a few holes in them, uh, and sell them 
for a dollar fifty each as buttons. Okay. Because I think that is the greatest profit margin to be had if you can corner the market. But it seems like that market of buttons and uh, shawl sets is so already well saturated that it would be hard to break into. Okay. But I do like walking through forests and lacquering things. Hmm. All right. I don't think those buttons are lacquered. I think they're salted. You'll have to teach me the ways. All right. Okay. Well, so did you enjoy it? I loved it. I oh, thought yay. it was superb. It was everything I wanted it to be. Uh, maybe that was because of the coffee that I had uh, that, that got me really amped up. Though not as amped up as Ms. The North uh, apparently gets through coffee. Uh, seeing a pre-coffee Ms. The North was very interesting for me. But I loved it. I thought the Toronto Knitter's Frolic was superb. Uh, I could see myself back there. Now I know what I'm getting into. Uh, and, it, and it's totally my scene. It's it's a convention like any other convention. Any sort of nerddom or fandom. If you've been to Anime North uh, or, or any Comic-Con... Or a Star Trek convention. I'm sure there are other sorts of conventions. Maybe there's like a dental floss convention. I don't know. <laughs> but it's just as exciting. Why, yes. My favorite is the mint-flavored one. It's, <laughs> it's more about the floss versus ding, string, ding, not the flavoring. Uh, waxed or unwaxed. But, uh, no, <laughs> it, was, it was great. And now I know what I'm getting into. Uh, and the people there were just superb. As, as much as I say as there, there's some gatekeeping... Uh, it was just a bunch of really happy people, all excited to be around each other. And although there were people getting limited amounts of, of yarn uh, at great prices, there was none of that elbows out, I'm going to shove you to the ground to get this, that I've sometimes run into at other conventions. Uh, so there does seem to be a lot of love in the room. Uh, and I'd like to, to, to connect more with this scene. And, you know, maybe uh, maybe see if there are panels that you have to sign up for well in advance that carry steep price tags. But, uh... Panels? Well, uh, demonstrations. Like, classes? Classes. Classes. Yeah, there are places that do classes. So that's, uh... Th there's clearly a whole lot more to it than what I have seen. I just dipped my toes in the, uh, the, the frolic, and uh, I was glad for having done so. Fantastic. Sweet. So, I guess at this point, we've been talking for a while about the frolic. Yes. Yeah. Now it's time for you to record something like, stay tuned for our previously edited segment with Care Bear Mike. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Okay, well, we'll be on to that. Thanks for listening. Keep listening. Keep listening. Alright, so, uh, so we just finished recording the first third episode. We did. One time. One time. And we were talking about uh, someone named Care Bear Mike. It's, it's true. And then the funniest thing happened. What happened? What happened? Well, I had that alarming sensation that I normally have when someone knocks on my door and I don't know they're coming to my house where I'm like, 
am I about to be robbed? I thought that it was a hitman. Yeah, you did actually say, is it a hitman? And I was scared to stand in front of the door. Just I told you not to answer it. (laughs) Uh, Because you're in a building that you need to enter into by calling somebody who lives in the building. No, you don't. Oh my gosh, who is that? (laughs) You think it would be mostly secure. Uh, But then I opened the door, and amazingly, it was Care Bear Mike. Care Bear Mike, what brings you... In the plush. Yes, oh, he's got a catchphrase, he's better than us. It's true. He has to go. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe this is just what we need. All right, so Cabaret Mike, what brings you here? Um, My wife is traveling right now, and I was going to surprise, what are we calling Our producer. Our producer. I was going to surprise our producer, who is my sister-in-law, because her sister is not at home right now, so... Like, I'm just going to go home and uh, probably find some chips and play some PlayStation. Sounds about right. So. Sounds like he's into the nerddom. <laughs> we can save that for... Uh, for but, but before the nerddom, of course, we know that there is a section. Ms. the North? Yeah, okay. Ms. the North? What is that section called? I'm not sure which section you're talking about. The one that we do before the nerddom. I can't remember because I've been drinking 9% beer. That has part of part to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> that section is called... Bring me my beer! Yes, yeah. that spiked. Yeah, and that really spiked. <laughs> I did bring you a beer. Well, absolutely. Care Bear Mike came and brought us beer. Now, this is not just any beer. This is really special beer. Why is this special beer, Care Bear Mike? I made it. Oh, my with, gosh. Now, I made it with my wife. She did actually most of the work. <laughs> this is like where we're going to get one of those comments. It's like, can we I ed- did all of this. Can we edit this out? <laughs> did, uh, was, was, this beer, was this beer made in like a closet somewhere? Or was it one of those things where it's done in a shop and then you pour yeast in or something? Hair or rubber boots. No, we made, we made it in our kitchen. Are you afraid of it exploding under pressure? Uh, it has exploded under pressure. What, you mean the people making it or the beer? Well, the beer. Hopefully not the people making it. You seem pretty intact, so I'm both, assuming you didn't explode. Both have happened. This is, this is always my fear. When people say, oh, you should brew your own beer, I say, no, it's going to explode. And I'm glad that you've now vindicated me with that. Uh, it's fantastic to hear. Well, it's not fantastic that I, it exploded. You know what I'm saying. I really like that he showed up in a suit. To interview with us. Well, I think it's important to dress for success. It's true. I, I like. I feel underdressed, and you know. Uh, at least your uh, your shirt says something on it. The if I can't take my yarn, I'm not going. Yes, mine is just a five dollar shirt from Walmart, which to, is uh, the bulk of my clothes. To my credit, I do have a Rush Fly by Night shirt under my dress shirt. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I, 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 I do own a Rush Fly by Night shirt. All right, we'll let you. We'll let you keep that. We once at. Um, at a certain work event that we had to go to, uh, may have made a list of things you had to do, like a scavenger hunt style thing, um, to, cause we did a lot of like training things where you got a lot of the same information a bunch of times. So to make them, uh, more interesting, we invented, uh, a bingo game, but also like a checklist of things you had to do. And one of them was to wear nerdy, sh- nerdy shirts. And then you got extra points if people commented on your nerdy shirts. Although, so I read an, I wore an Evil Dead, the musical t-shirt. Because I love Evil Dead. Nice. Um, but I did get told, I was told at the time that because I was a girl wearing an Evil Dead t-shirt, the odds were in my favor to have people talk to I me I was about going it. to say, this competition was stacked from the beginning. Uh, Ms. The North is not a homely female. And uh, as such, as such, was, was approached by many people. Now, I would say, yes, this is why a lot of people don't know that they have bad tattoos. 
because tattoos, much like nerdy t-shirts, are just the thing someone's going to use to start a conversation. So if you want to start a conversation with someone, you're going to say, I love your shirt or I love your tattoo. They may not love your shirt or tattoo, but now they have an in with you. It's, I guess it's true. I, I agreed with your system on that one. I am not an unhomely female. <laughs> So, but you do have people comment on your beard. Well, now it's all trendy with you and your hipster crowd. Anyway, this is bring me my beer, yes. not let's discuss t-shirts. I, I actually want to know, how did you guys get into beer making? Oh, um, it was actually a wedding gift from one of our, one of our, one of the people who came to our wedding and they gave us a kit because they had been making a lot of beer and mm. we enjoyed drinking that beer. And so, um, yeah, they gave us a kit and then we, we started making it. I think this is our... I think this is our 14th beer. Ooh. So they thought, hey, this exploded on us. We're going to give it to you. It can explode on you. It does explode. Like, I'm not even kidding. It does explode sometimes. What is? What does it mean when beer explodes? What does that look like? Um, it's wet. <laughs> like, it doesn't, like, it's not, like, broken glass or anything. I don't understand the have process you, to okay. make beer. So, so have you ever had anyone throw a glass of water in your face? I don't think so. <laughs> But, like, I've had people, like, splash me with water. Lots of water? Yeah, like swimming pool You know water. if you if you're holding the hose in front of your face? And you do and this? You, and you leave your, and you take your thumb off? Yep. And it's going full blast and it's is in it your just, face? Just, yeah, just, it's, like, it's like that. So, is it beer yet? If you open your mouth, does, like, the beer just go in? <laughs> and you're just like, whoops! Sorry about that. Um, no. It's not fully beer at the time. How do you, how do you make beer? So, so you boil about 20 liters of water, and then you, uh, you add the malts, you add the hops, um, and then you let it sit in a, in a plastic uh, container for about, like, maybe, like, seven days, and you add yeast beforehand so that it starts kind of fermenting, and then um, about seven days later, you transfer it to another container, uh, which is called a carboy. It's a glass container, and then... Um, you add sucrose, which is what naturally um, carbonates it. Okay. And then about seven or eight days later, you bottle it. And then you wait a few more days, and you wait till it's cold, obviously, and then... Oh, that's actually pretty fast. I yeah. thought, like, there would be more of an aging process to it, but I guess it's not, like, wine at all. Yep. You have to, like, vintages and... No. I know nothing about wine. Like, this stuff will get you drunk. <laughs> the is only that... uh, containers I've ever transported beer from was the bottle to me. So this, this seems like a lot more... Did you miss the glass? Uh, well, oftentimes, yeah. I don't need to drink out of a glass. That's what bottles are for. All right. Currently, you are drinking uh, beer out of a glass. So how how, how is the beer? I it in a glass. It's sharp. Don't, don't lose our one listener. <laughs> one subscriber. That isn't us. No, it's, it's very beery. Uh, I, I am shocked that, it, that it's home-brewed. But also, it's not it's not a light lager, so that's more in my wheelhouse. I prefer a beer that has flavor. It turns out it turned out very dark. We were actually pretty surprised. Yeah, that's actually a pretty like I'm drinking an imperial. I'm still drinking other beer. You are not drinking Care Bear Mike's beer. I don't know why you're pretending that you are. I'm not. I'm saying I'm drinking an imperial stout, which is dark, and yes. I was comparing it to the color of yeah. your beer, which is almost the same. That's impressive. Yeah, it turned yeah. it turned out really well. Nice. We were happy with it. My wife doesn't like it, mm. so I have 20 liters of beer <laughs> that only I like. So is it more financially viable to uh, to brew your own beer? So you can get 20 liters of beer for about $40. Oh, 
20 liters of beer. Do you know that you can actually take that much beer across province lines? We had an argument earlier because apologies, you're not good at. Uh, not not Kerber Mike. The, the Viking is not good at. There was no the before that. That was just me stuttering for the record. Um, because we were talking about the province legislation in terms of how you can transport X amount of alcohol from one province to the other. Right. And 24 he, liters of beer. Okay, so, and for Ontario, it's 24 liters of beer. If you live in, like, Manitoba, there isn't a limit. It's unlimited. Huh. Um, and this is all remnants of the Prohibition era, crazily enough. Um, but the last time we were recording, like 20 minutes ago, um, the podcast before, I we were drinking a beer that my uh, brother's girlfriend had brought back from Quebec, and at the time, he had said that he helped that she had paid whatever the appropriate taxes were for bringing a beer across provincial lines. Um, there are no such taxes. It's There's not just taxes a limit. or duties. Apparently it's just illegal and you can go to jail. So, so I would say that's even more serious. In, in lieu of apologizing for the fact that we had one beer for us, and the reason it got brought back for us is because it had it's called uh, Tante... Which is like Ant Knitter. So it was related to the podcast. And thank you very much again. It really was fantastic. And you are a testament to all humans. So he, he <laughs> thank you for that. She'll, she'll really appreciate it because she listens. Um, but she was, she had sent me a message after she listened to the podcast that he had, um, that she was like, where am I supposed to send this, like, tax to who? I can't find it on the internet anywhere. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I feel like this is a sideline. He's just trying to get money. This is your side business, right? But they don't patrol the provincial borders. I mean... They I've, do not. I've, no. driven, I've driven through a lot of them. No. But I, there have been some cases in certain provinces where people have actually been called to task for transporting more than that, more than whatever the limit is across the lines. Um, and they've been charged and had to go to court, and then it's always been, well, always been, but, like, the clo- the earliest case, earliest? Most recent case in New Brunswick. Hot case, get it? <laughs> so that is, if you it, take more than three cases, you get a bonus one you free. Get a case. <laughs> you guys, so punny. Um, had actually been overturned because it violated the free trade agreements between the provinces. Anyways, you take your life in your own hands. Don't trust us for tax. But, like, trust me that you should not bring in more than three cases yeah, of beer to Ontario. Because, as Ms. Uh, the North has discovered, it is illegal. So, I feel like, by saying that you'd have to pay a fee, me saying that to try to get you to not bring it in, I was actually helping you. Because, apparently, no, uh, it's just straight up against the law and you'll go to court. I, so, I would, that's worse. Kerber Mike, I would like you to enjoy the fact that this is his aversion of actually making a real apology for the fact that he just invented a fake I tax. <laughs> it's illegal. That's all I knew. Okay. I'm just worried that people are going to listen to this and think it's tax advice or uh, yeah, no. legal advice. This is. So I don't believe that people tune Mikey. into a podcast with someone named Kerber Mike for their, uh, <laughs> for their tax advice. Although tax season is coming up. Have you filed? No, it's so normally I, my March break is like, do all the house cleaning and file taxes. Um, do we have until the end of April? Yes. It's April 30th. Oh, that's so much better than the end of March. Yeah. Um, but I always make sure I do it over the March break when I have time. Um, I did not this year, so I have to do them at some point soon. It's actually interesting, though, because I think uh, what started this is earlier our producer was on the phone with Care Bear Make when they were talking, and we realized that... Um, Camera Mike shares uh, an interest with us in terms of nerddom. The nerddom. 
I like that you're inventing theme songs. We need them. It's great. No, I love it because I can just cap record that and then copy it into the next episode. It'll be fabulous. Uh, so, you were holding up one of your records earlier, and it is, uh, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock? I know, I have been, like, one, I have, like, a friend who is obsessed with Star Trek, and he has all of these model, uh, USS Enterprises hung around his house, um, and he keeps trying to steal this from me, but he has not been successful yet. I have a Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, uh, record on vinyl, and it's, like, an original <laughs> Um, it was given to me by... Not my... one of those fake records yeah, you see going well, around Yeah, well, it's not, like, new. It's old. Um, and it was actually found and then given to me. So it was found by my housemate from university. Her mom was helping clear out someone's attic after they had passed away somewhere in the town of Aurelia. Um, and found this record and saw it and went, I know who would like this. <laughs> and now then I, gave it to me. Awesome. I believe that's that really that music was actually composed by James Horner. Or was it Hans Zimmerman? Yes, James Horner. Ah, once again, Horner. once again, Viking is correct. Just like don't bring beer across provincial lines. So, Care Bear Mike, I have heard that because uh, Dr. Emmett Brown is in Star Trek 3, it's actually your favorite Star Trek movie. Is that true? That's malarkey. Uh, everyone knows that the even-numbered Star Treks are the ones you want to watch. You don't, that... you don't like Generations? Uh, Generations is weak. That's, that's hurtful. It's hurtful and upsetting. Why is that hurtful? It's you... one of my favorite Christmas movies. <laughs> when he's in the Nexus. So, sorry, how does, it, how does it work as a Christmas movie? Explain that for me, because I have like the memory of a goldfish. When I think of Generations, I think of blinking lights and a Christmas tree, and a little boy with Captain Picard around said tree, and this is very wonderful, heartwarming uh, moment, especially when you realize that that kid is just in Picard's memory, because really he died horribly when the house burned down and no one was able to get him out. Where are the transporters now, safety monitors? Where are the transporters now? That kid died in a fire. It's all fake, just like real Christmas. Oh, oh so sad. Wow. <laughs> if you are under the age of six... Turn off the podcast 30 seconds ago. <laughs> didn't know that Santa Claus wasn't whoa, real. Whoa, hey, now. Whoa. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> Gosh. Oh. We're just unloading here on... Uh, this bonus episode of uh, Viking in the North Therapy Edition. Do, do I name this 3.1? What do Maybe, I name this? Just the bonus. So so you don't like uh, the, the odd-numbered Star Treks. Correct. What ones do you enjoy? Oh, 2, 4, and 6. I mean, uh, Tiwok, uh, Wrath of Khan, the Wrath of Khan, so Tiwok, is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. That, that just came out, right? With Benedict Cumberbatch in it? Oh, no. No, the original Wrath of Khan. Come on. Damn it, now I'm going to have to put in one of those explicit <laughs> warnings. We're really, we're really raising our quality here. <laughs> no, uh, original Wrath of Khan. I mean, with, uh, what's the actor's name? Leonard Sorry. Nimoy? No. William Shatner. No, uh, Ricardo Montalban. Oh, Ricardo Montalban. He's sinister as Khan. He's great. Yes. But he doesn't look like Sherlock Holmes. No, he does not. So I don't know if that really is Khan, because I not long ago saw Star Trek and saw Khan, and he looked a lot like Sherlock Holmes. And Six has uh, Captain Sulu. On the Excelsior. Yeah. Yes, uh, NCC 2000. Very exciting. And actually, uh, trivia fact here, um, there are scenes in Six that were actually reused for your favorite movie, uh, Generations. Really? Yep. 
of like just a ship kind of flying by in uh, the when background. the bird of prey gets blown up. Oh yes, exploding birds of prey. Yeah, <laughs> there are a few greater things. They are expensive to make, so so they reuse the, the uh, they reuse the scene. Speaking of registry numbers of starships, uh, <laughs> we're, on we're your we, way. Are we speaking of that? NCC two thousand. If you pay attention, uh, on your way out, you will see the registry number of another exciting uh, starship. I'm not going to say anything more than that, you know? We've already got one crazy listener stalker showing up at our podcast. (laughs) And apparently we just invite them in and let them on, so long as they bring me my beer! Or, like, dress up for the occasion. Or dress up. Yeah. To my credit, the beer was in the fridge. It's it's true. You have actually been to the apartment before. But maybe we should just encourage listeners to show up with beer. Um, oh, I'm so divided. (laughs) (laughs) On the one hand, stalkers. On the other hand, beer. You know, it's like, whatever. One of the two. Yeah, I probably don't, I probably want to avoid stalkers. Um, Hmm. Guys, for any stalkers out there, Cabra Mike is a special case. He's not actually stalking us. No, I'm, I'm, I have family who lives with, with, um. He's family. What's your name again? (laughs) The North. The North, the North. yeah. <laughs> I, I have family who lives at the North, so, like, I, like, this is, like... This is okay. Producer comes over to my house, and I make her dinner once every couple of weeks, so I feel like I can come over to her apartment. I like that you said once every couple of weeks, and earlier she said a couple times a week when we were talking to her earlier. So, like, she's getting fed. Flat of deception. Um, yeah, I don't know which one's true, but, like, out of that, I have never gotten dinner out of this. For the record, but you know. So if you are just the normal sort of stalker, you're not family, you're not welcome. You no can matter, listen to the podcast, but don't just show up at my even apartment. Even if they no risk their life much beer you bring. by bringing more than three cases across provincial lines. Yeah, that's true. Which you were right about. Which I was right about. Thank you, Kevin. But that wasn't, that wasn't <laughs> what he said. No, wait, just okay. calm yourself. Before we bring this therapy episode, bonus episode, to an end... Uh, Care Bear Mike, would you like to tell us where your name came from? Yeah, so I was I was on the street actually, uh, about to go into a doctor's appointment, and this, as one does, this, <laughs> this crazy guy starts yelling at the top of his lungs, and I I couldn't hear the phone, and, <laughs> but when I could hear it again, it was uh, the producer asking me about the origin of the Care Bears and now, the Cloud Kingdom of Carolot. And I got I got excited uh, because I do know some origin stories, like Marvel superheroes, DC superheroes, right? But the Care Bears, I, I don't know. So cynically, I jumped to the fact that it was probably I'm thinking probably Hasbro, probably just wanting to sell toys, ah. and that was the origin. Oh, uh, it was actually TCFC, uh, which I believe stands for those characters from Cleveland. <laughs> I know, it sounds crazy. Look it up. I believe I'm not making this up. You were Googling that after you had a conversation with the producer. I feel confident. She was, uh, they were having this argument because uh, Viking was claiming that Care Bears had no origin, really. Mm-mm. And the producer was, was adamant. adamant. Yeah, that's a great she word She used her she phone a friend to call and you. And then she, yeah, you were her, like, who wants to be a millionaire phone who friend Who would know obscure knowledge. Yeah. It turns out Care Bear Mike does not know. Which is also how you got the nickname Care Bear Mike, which I'm realizing now probably isn't actually... It will be his cross to bear until he can tell us the origins of the Cloud Kingdom of Carolot. All right, and then he can have another nickname? No, I think it's going to be stuck by that. All right, fine. <laughs> All right, did you have anywhere else to go with this now? 
No, that, that was it for me. We had some knitting talk, some tax talk, as we're known to do. Some impro- inappropriate language that I need Bring to edit out. Bring my beer! Yeah, you know. That, that whole sign-off about the inappropriate language isn't going to work well if you edit it out. <laughs> Maybe just like a sound effect over top of it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, something like that. I'm sure I can think of something. All right, well, I guess, uh, Cameron Mike, do you have anything that you want to say? No, this is fun. This is great. All right, so that brings us to an end of our special bonus, uh, the North Cooking and Guild joining episode of Viking and the North. Thanks for listening, guys. First bonus episode. Woohoo! Thank you for listening to Viking and the North. If you're interested in getting in contact with us, you can reach us at vikingandthenorthpodcast at gmail.com. And if you're feeling the need to grow your yarn stash, you can check out the Norse Yarn Store at My Heart Lies North on Etsy. Music for this podcast was written and recorded by the sensational Simon Dobry. Happy knitting!